0: Improbably, Tennessee finishes 8-5 and five with six wins in a row and a two-touchdown comeback in under five minutes in a game that encapsulated the entire 2019 season for the Vols. On episode number 28 today of the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast, we're going to recap it all, starting with a visit with Ben McKee from the Swain event, diving into the final analytics from this season, plus an early look at what everyone wants to know. Will Trey Smith come back for his senior season at Tennessee? And who replaces David Johnson as the Vols' running backs coach? We're gonna give you a couple names uh, to look for as that search gets underway. All that and more coming up after I remind you that this show, as always, is brought to you by Brentwood Hearing Center, who's been your sound solution in the state of Tennessee for over 30 years. Listening to your favorite podcast is now easier with hearing aids that connect via Bluetooth technology to both iPhone and Android devices. If you're challenged to hear in certain situations and remain tempted to reach for the phone in your vehicle, give Brentwood Hearing Center a call at 615-377-0420, and you can test drive the Phonak Marvel. Brentwood Hearing Center offers five doctors of audiology with more than 85 years of combined experience, and you've seen their convenient location here right off of I-65 on Franklin Pike at the Brentwood Old Hickory exit. Pay them a visit at 5544 Franklin Pike Suite 100, and you'll absolutely be glad you did. Give them a call to find out what sounds you've missed while hanging with the kids, sitting in that big meeting at the office, or at dinner with the family a few weeks ago over the holiday season. Give them a call today at 615-377-0420. You can visit them online as well at bretwoodhearingcenter.com. Bretwood Hearing Center, better hearing, better life. It's the first football off-season podcast of 2020. The Silly Season begins now with episode 28.
1: The top stories and the top insiders on Rocky Top. This is the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast with your host, Will Bowling.
0: College football teams were 471-0 when leading by 13-plus with five minutes to go. And then Tennessee happened. Welcome into episode number 28 of the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast here on the 104.5 The Zone Podcast Network. My name is Will Bowling. Welcome, officially. Let me be the first to officially welcome you to the offseason. You know, this is usually the time of year when it kind of hits you. Football is over for a while. Uh, Of course, we still have the national championship game. Uh, Last night, I was watching another random bowl game. Um, that I cared nothing about. Uh, it was Louisiana Lafayette and Miami of Ohio. Real barn burner. Let's all rally together. We're going to get through this together um, without football. Uh, these are trying times, okay? Uh, my thoughts, my prayers to each of you uh, during this very tough season of your life. Uh, but we're going to be here every step of the way to break down the off season, uh and to hit all the headlines every single week, even with football not being played on Saturdays uh, here on the 104.5 Podcast Network on the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast. Big show coming up for you today. Ben McKee is going to join me here in a matter of moments uh, to break down all the headlines. Uh, He's got some interesting insight uh, onto Trey Smith, potentially coming back for his senior season. You're certainly going to want to stick around for that uh, as we dive into what this team, and specifically what this offense could look like heading into spring uh, and more long-term heading into fall 2020. Uh, we're obviously going to talk about Indiana as well. It was a big win for Tennessee. It's certainly one I did not see coming. Uh, I, I, I did, however, see Eric Gray's breakout continuing. Uh, if you are with us all last week here from my Seaside Studio podcast down in Jacksonville, you knew that I have been banging the Eric Gray should be the starting running back drum uh, for a couple months now. Uh, and... It happened, and Eric Gray's the one uh, that really put the stamp uh, on that win for Tennessee on uh, or down there in Jacksonville. I was about to say Saturday night, I guess that was Thursday night. Uh, Titans were uh, were Saturday. Plus, we're going to finish up uh, talking a little bit of Tennessee basketball. I know that's not as welcome of a topic as it maybe was this time last year, uh, or even this time a couple of months ago. Uh, but I'm not quite ready to start panicking about Tennessee basketball. Yet, And I'm not ready to throw any blame at Rick Barnes for what's going on this season. I'm going to tell you why uh, near the end of this podcast uh, as we wrap up with a basketball minute. So Ben McKee joins me now from Knoxville. Been a big friend of the program here on the UT podcast. Uh, and Ben, uh, against all odds, Tennessee gets it done uh, last week in Jacksonville um, and and I, I sent out a tweet right after the game that said, uh, that game was Tennessee's 2019 season in 60 minutes, and you are now free to exit the ride. Uh, what a roller coaster it was throughout this year. What a roller coaster it was last week. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I was pretty shocked to see Tennessee find a way and come back at the end of that game.
1: No, I, I was for sure. Uh, I thought Tennessee was dead to rights. I thought that was an L. In the lost column uh coming around the corner, Tennessee had no business winning that football game, and really, as crazy as it sounds, it was all because of quarterback play I-, I thought the I thought the team overall played well minus the the quarterback position as crazy as that sounds. you know, Eric Gray had a couple of big runs I thought uh early on the offensive line didn't necessarily play great, but as the game went along, they continued to improve, improve improve uh You didn't really get to to see the wide receivers get involved, though Ramel Keaton was able to to make a big play down the field there in the first half. I think he ended up with three catches or so. Mark West Callaway did his job getting open, but as we saw, Jared Garantano could not get him the football. The defense obviously played well all game long. Really the only touchdown Tennessee gave up was the pick six that Jared Garantano threw there in the third quarter. Brian Maurer comes in and, I know Jared Gantano had the, the two really bad interceptions but uh, as also crazy as it sounds, I thought Brian Mauer played worse than Jared Gantano.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Brian Mauer
1: tried to tried to throw three interceptions on the on the one drive that he was in the game for, just Indiana dropped the football each time so he kinda got away with a couple of, of picks there. So Despite the quarterback position playing very poorly, uh, Tennessee was able to come out with a win. And I, I think that, that, that is why you want to hire Jandy Pruitt and not Mike Leach. Not to, to go on some big conversation, but, uh, in my opinion, to, to win in the SEC, and yes, this wasn't an SEC game, but I think it's very similar. To, in order to win games in college football, in my opinion, you have to have a strong defense. You have to be able to run the football. And that's what Tennessee was able to do. Uh, despite poor quarterback play. If Tennessee was so such a pass-heavy team, then they don't win that football game at all. But because of the emphasis on defense with Jeremy Pruitt and Derek Ansley calling up uh, great DB blitzes throughout the game and just playing solid fundamental football on the defensive side and then being able to get Eric Gray going on a couple of runs, I, I thought was the difference in the football game despite poor quarterback play.
0: Ben, I think another encouraging spot for Tennessee coming off of this game uh, are some guys that emerged on the offensive side of the football. Obviously, Eric Gray is going to be the main one we're going to talk about because uh, he was the guy that led Tennessee to the win over Vanderbilt. He's obviously the MVP of the bowl game. He is the focal point of this offense, I would say, moving forward. Uh, But you mentioned Ramel Keaton, but also I think Josh Palmer uh, really is a guy I'm continuing to like more and more. Um, And he made one specific catch, I believe, in the first half. Um, did a really nice job, uh, about a six- or seven-yard hitch, I believe. His catch radius is really, really good. He can make all the catches. He's an athletic guy. Uh, and on that first drive where Tennessee missed out uh, on scoring a touchdown, uh, or no, this is actually on, the, on their first scoring drive when Brent Samaglia hit his first field goal of the game, uh, with Jarrett Garantano rolling out to the right, You can see Josh Palmer in a beautiful scramble drill, finding a soft spot in the coverage. He's wide open, standing on the goal line. If Jarrett Garantano goes back over, I guess, across his body uh, to make that throw to the goal line, he's got a touchdown uh, with Josh Palmer. So those are three names I think Tennessee can really build on. And that was my biggest question going into this game without Jawan Jennings uh, and moving forward next season without Marquez Calloway as well and Dominique Wood-Anderson how are you going to replace that kind of production and i think tennessee got some some quality answers against indiana
1: is tennessee's wide receiver room going to be as good or maybe even as productive as it was this year probably not definitely not in the as good department just because it's hard to be as good at the wide receiver position uh when you lose a guy like Joan jennings who was arguably the best player for tennessee this decade uh, if at least one of the best players for Tennessee this past decade. Um, statistically, is one of the best receivers to ever play at Tennessee. And then you lose Marquez Callaway, who, his numbers weren't through the roof like Jawan, but I, I mean, he, he's an NFL receiver. But Josh Palmer is the next NFL receiver, and we could look up 10 years from now, and Josh Palmer may be the, the one out of the trio that's still playing in the NFL. I mean, he's relatively new to football, didn't really pick it up until late in high school because he moved from Canada uh down to Florida, but he's just an athletic freak. Has the complete physical makeup, just uh I mean you can see he's chiseled out there. He can run. Uh he he's smart. Uh he, he just has to really work on the mental as- aspect of the game, the mental side. If he can get that dog in him like Jawan Jennings has, like Marcos Callaway had in him to an to an extent, then I mean, the sky's the limit for, for Josh Palmer and I, I know T Martin feels the same way. T Martin uh, thinks that he can be the, the best out of that trio when talking about the next level. And T. Martin is is a guy who understands the, the translation from college football to NFL football when it comes to receiver play. So will that receiver room be as good next year as it was this year? Maybe not, but I think it has the chance to at least match the production. And it does have a chance to be as good because uh you talk about Ramel Keaton, you talk about Josh Palmer. I think D'Angelo Gibbs is going to be the number one receiver next year. He has absolutely lit it up on the practice field all year as he sat out after transferring from Georgia. Uh, continued to really impress the coaching staff uh, by the plays that he was making on the scout team and just continued to get the first-team defense just fits on the practice field. So I think he's going to be your number one guy right there with Josh Palmer. And that's two really good receivers right there. And then you have Brandon Johnson, who will be a veteran. He led the team in catches two years ago. He's capable of being productive. You have Ramel Keaton. You have Cedric Tillman who uh he'll be a junior and you know, you're adding Jalen Hyatt and some some top end speed. So it it may not be the the names that we're used to and across the SEC with the media it may not get the same recognition, but it does have the chance to be as productive, if not as good, when you consider Yes, Jerry Gantano will be back. Brian Maurer will be back. Who knows? Maybe Harrison Bailey takes the bull by the horns and and takes over and runs with it. Uh, and then you have your, I think, what's going to be your entire offensive line returning. Uh, that, that has to make you have a good offense and and as well as your stable of running backs coming back unless somebody decides to transfer. That receiver room has a chance to be really good next year, although it may not feel like it because you are losing two really big names in Jawan Jennings and West Calloway.
0: Here's what really excites me as well, Ben. You've got Jim Cheney coming back again. Uh, and when you look at the mistakes this Tennessee offense made, uh, they were pretty efficient on the offensive side of the football over the last six weeks of the season. Uh, and obviously they went 6-0 and to finish it, so they're obviously doing something right. Uh, but the mistakes mainly came in turning the football over. Uh, and to me, early on in the season, that was a product of Jim Cheney and Jarrett Garantano and really the entire offense not quite clicking with what Jim Cheney wanted And then you kind of saw that light come on and you saw things change for that group offensively. Uh, But in addition to that, you've also got this offensive line that you mentioned uh, is playing with a lot of confidence right now. And they looked like what an SEC offensive line should look like against a team like Indiana last week in the Slayer Gator Bowl. They were absolutely moving folks out of the way for Eric Gray, who then was getting past the first and second level uh, and into the secondary pretty quickly. Uh, But I want to touch on a point you made as well because uh, it it would be huge to have this entire offensive line coming back, uh, and that would obviously include Trey Smith, who has uh, a major NFL future likely uh, as a first or second round pick. Uh, Do you think uh, he's going pro at this point? Do you think he stays? And when uh, can Tennessee fans maybe expect an official announcement from him?
1: Personally, I think Trey Smith is going to be uh, back in the Tennessee uniform, uh, just because I, I do think there's benefit for him coming back and proving that he can, you know, use this plan that he is on in, in regards to the blood clot issue that he had uh, last season. I think he can come back another year, prove that he can can really use that plan to his benefit and still be as good of a football player as he was this year. I mean, you heard it on every single broadcast this season Trey Smith only had two full contact practices all season long and that includes training camp and it'll be a different story when he gets to the NFL because with with a young offensive lineman in the NFL it's so crucial to to be a participant in the the full contact practices there in training camp in the preseason but it'll be a different story there but I I do think it'll be a benefit for him to return And really show to the NFL, to executives, to to GMs, to scouts that, hey, I can go through this entire process and still be as effective and kind of, kind of do something that is unique. And if not for anything, but just to show that he is healthy. And uh, I think it'll be really good for him. And like right now, Mel Kuyper, I think has him, uh, sixth or, or seventh overall at the guard position and don't get me wrong, Mel Kuyper doesn't, you know, decide who gets picked where, and NFL teams aren't going by Mel Kuyper's rankings. But I do think Trey Smith sees that and, and realizes that, I mean, you're going to be hard-pressed to find uh, six guards, let alone linemen in general, better than Trey Smith. Absolutely. I think that He can absolutely play himself into a, a better pick. So I, I'd be surprised if he doesn't return to school and – you know that's huge for Tennessee. Right now, that's that's Jeremy Pruitt's first priority, and which is why you saw pictures floating around Twitter last night of Jeremy Pruitt in Jackson with Trey Smith. I mean, Trey Smith is your number one recruit. He is the heart and soul of your football team for next season. If he returns, he is the guy that is going to set the tempo uh, during winter conditioning and uh, throughout the summer and throughout fall camp. I mean, he's is, he is the heartbeat of the offensive line. You know, just a, a, a aside from the talent that he has, we all see his talent, but what he means to Tennessee football in the locker room and uh, developing, you know, the Cooper Mays and those guys who are enrolling and just what he has meant to Wanya Morris and Darnell Wright, and guys like that. I mean, he's instrumental uh, to Tennessee having success on the on the offensive side of the football next year because I mentioned the, the running backs that are coming back next year, assuming there is no uh, guys that decide to lead the program. I mean, you have Eric Gray, Tim Jordan, uh, and Ty Chandler and even Carlin Fields and me, I mean, he redshirted this year. You add a couple of running backs, three to be exact in the class of, of 2020, and you have a full stable of running backs. And if you can get them running behind your complete five starting offensive line from a year ago, uh, because we already know Brandon Kennedy is coming back, and then you do have a veteran quarterback leading the way. I mean, that, that has the potential to be a, a you know, one of the better rushing offenses in the SEC. So, uh, I do think Trey Smith returns. Um, I, I'd be surprised if, um, you know, that decision extended past this week. I mean, you, you kind of see throughout the SEC and throughout the country that guys are making their decisions now as they, as their seasons have come to an end. They've been able to talk to the NFL people just in general. They've been able to talk to their college coaches, their, their families. And that's why you see a, a million decisions. Each day on Twitter and I think uh, Trey Smith will be one of those decisions here in the next couple of days
0: so Ben if Trey Smith is the number one priority for Tennessee uh, perhaps a running backs coach is the second priority uh, with David Johnson leaving to team up once again with his former boss at Memphis uh, Mike Norvell down at Florida State it's obviously a big loss for Tennessee in recruiting the western part of the state uh, but that being said Jeremy Pruitt has always had success recruiting Memphis in, in past stops, uh, specifically at Alabama where he was able to get a lot of those uh, West Tennessee, kind of northern Mississippi guys uh, in that area. Where do you think Tennessee looks uh, to fill that running back's uh, coach role? Um, and do you p- kind of see any other changes potentially coming to this staff in the next couple weeks?
1: With the running back uh, position – Uh, I don't think that we'll see Jeremy Pruitt move uh, very quickly. If you remember last year with the offense coordinator position, (laughs) Jeremy Pruitt took his sweet time, and it wasn't necessarily the most thorough or clean process, but at the end of the day, he got the hire right, and Jim Chaney wasn't his necessarily first option, not because he didn't want Jim Chaney, but because he didn't think Jim Chaney was initially available, so he kind of... Ran the course through, through some other guys. And again, it wasn't the most clean process. So I don't think that he's super eager to, to just hurry up and hire somebody. But when the time comes, I do think we'll see, uh, guys like Jay Graham. Uh, obviously everybody knows who, who Jay Graham is, the current Texas A&M running backs coach, Tennessee great running back back in the day. Um, he's had a stop at Tennessee. He's been at Fuller State. He's been kind of all over the place. Uh, even in Tennessee, I mean, he had a year at UTC, a year at UT Martin. Uh, when he was first breaking into the business. I think he is an an excellent replacement for David Johnson, uh, both on the recruiting trail and being able to relate to young men. And then I think another guy that you, you, you'll you see floating around and has a good chance of getting the job is Montario Hardesty, another former Tennessee running back uh, who is currently the running back's coach at Charlotte. He was on staff with Jeremy Pruitt last year, worked for Lane Kiffin the year before at FAU. He is a, a star in the making in the business, and he is on the rise. And I think the the pro to hiring Ontario Hardesty is that Ontario Hardesty knows what it's like to work for Jeremy Pruitt because Jeremy Pruitt is not an easy head coach to work for. It is very rigorous. Uh, it is not meant for everybody. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt is the type that expects you to be in the facility until 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, uh, each and every night, trying to get the job done. Um, that, that's why Jeremy Poole, I think, is going to be so successful at Tennessee is because of his work ethic, but he demands that same work ethic out of his coaches. But Montario Hardesty understands that and realizes that, so it, w- it wouldn't be uh, a huge a surprise to him. And Montario really relates to players as well. I think that he'd be able to go into Memphis like David Johnson was and be able to, to talk that same lingo, uh, go down to Florida, wherever. Just, you know, you're Jeremy Banks of the world. Your Eric Grays of the World, Montreal Hardesty, just like Jay Graham, uh, will be able to to talk that same lingo. So I think Jay Graham or Montreal Hardesty are the two names that we'll see at the top of the list for Jeremy Pruitt when he decides to make that decision. Uh and then as far as other staff changes, we will see other staff changes. Um most of the assistant coaches signed two year deals when Jeremy Pruitt became head coach and and signed the contract. To be the, the Tennessee head coach, and when he was making his staff hires, uh, most of the go- most of those guys did sign two-year deals. So uh, a couple guys on the defensive side of the ball, like a Tracy Rocker, I could see him potentially, um, you know, deciding to maybe retire. Maybe um, I, I don't want to say a lesser job, but uh, you know, Kumar Rocker, he's an all-world pitcher there at Vanderbilt. He's got two more years at Vandy, so maybe he wants to step aside and and watch. Uh, Kumar be able to pitch before he goes to the big leagues because that's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime family opportunity to see your son pitch at a place like Vanderbilt so Tracy Rocker is a guy that you know may not be at Tennessee next year Chris Rump's on his final year of a deal uh Kevin Shearer he's on his final year of the deal uh, I don't think Chris Winkie will go anywhere but he's another guy who's I mean he signed a two-year deal so uh there's several guys that I think that we could see some movement with and um Jeremy Pruitt, like Nick Saban, uh, really wants to see coaches really hit the recruiting trail. So if he can find a way to upgrade uh, the coaching staff on on the recruiting side of things, I think he may try to take that opportunity to do just that.
0: Ben McKee has been our guest. He is a friend of the show, co-host of the Swain event, writer for Rocky Top Insider up in Knoxville. Uh, We appreciate the time as always, Ben. We'll talk to you down the road.
1: Always appreciate you having me.
0: Let's finish things up with a basketball minute. Things don't look very good for the Tennessee team right now. Another loss this time in conference play. So it starts to sting a little bit more this time of year when you're losing games at home. And uh, now Tennessee has not only lost their nation's best home winning streak, they also lost their conference best conference winning streak at home. Both of those completely out the window, so there's maybe less pressure on this team now uh, with both of those gone. It was a decent LSU team, and the Vols do get Missouri tonight here on the zone uh, at 6 o'clock Central Time as they continue to try to figure out, uh, who are we? uh, In order to get things on the right track and maybe play themselves back into the NCAA tournament picture once again, because right now Tennessee basketball is on the outside looking in of the NCAA tournament picture. And it starts in the backcourt. Jordan Bowden entered December, averaging 15.4 points per game and scored in double digits in Tennessee's first seven games. He is shooting now 17 of 69 from the field and 9 of 39 on three-pointers in his past six games. After what Rick Barnes called a terrific Friday practice, Bowden was then 1-for-12 shooting and 1-for-6 from three-point range in Tennessee's 14-point loss to the LSU Tigers on Saturday. He had six assists with his lone field goal Saturday uh, being a three-pointer that hit the heel of the rim uh, and then fell in. I'm going to lay out something that's pretty basic. Tennessee cannot win games against good SEC opponents or even average sec opponents without jordan bowden at least being okay being serviceable because that's where the balls are at right now in 2020 rick barnes said after the loss to the tigers that you know he should not have shot a couple of shots he took i know he got frustrated like we all do and as the shots continue to rim out his confidence it's going to continue to fall things might get worse for the tennessee basketball team before they get better and really what he needs is another guy to take the pressure off of him on the perimeter so enter Santiago Viscovi, who scored 18 points on six of nine shooting from three-point range can he defend the basketball very well well no not yet but he brings a breath of fresh air and confidence to this team uh, that they haven't had all season not since the win over Washington When guys were hitting shots and the Vols were shutting down a really good and really big team inside, has this team had any sort of momentum or confidence? That team is now 11-4 and beat USC by 34 points on Sunday after losing two straight games to Houston and UCLA. So maybe that team isn't quite as good as we thought when the Vols beat up on them in Toronto. But when you're looking for confidence and signs of life for this Vols team, that went over Washington, and the VCU win, albeit dramatically, and maybe shouldn't have happened as late as it did without a circus shot for Lamonte Turner, that's about all you can hang your hat on if you're Tennessee right now. So there's not much this season to take away to give you confidence. So you have to hope that Missouri looks as bad offensively as many Conzo Martin teams do when the Vols travel to Como tonight. The first team to 60 might win, but this team outside of just tonight and outside of just the next week and a half to two weeks needs to figure out a lot before it can even think about finishing in the top tier of the sec because that's what it's going to take to make an NCAA tournament at this point Ken Palm ranks the Vols number 54 right now now of course there's still time to right the ship and get into the tourney but this doesn't even look like a bubble team right now it looks like a four-seed in the NIT who would host a team like MTSU at home and lose to a squad that's way more motivated to be there, like an SEC team against a group of five opponent in the New Year's Six Bowl game. Now, things are going to get better, but I've got a feeling that in 2020, they're going to get worse before they improve. Maybe you still beat Kentucky and Knoxville and make it five straight over Calipari at home. Maybe you even sneak up and knock Bruce Pearl off the top spot of the SEC. And heck, maybe this team just, you know, it it figures out how to play together. And some of the freshmen step up into prominent roles and all of this concern and all this panic that we all have right now is for nothing. But long term, I'm not panicking at all. I'm not concerned at all about the long term future of Tennessee basketball under Rick Barnes. Because when you lose four starters, three players to transfer, one to NCAA ineligibility, and your best player to a career-ending injury, you're going to go through some growing pains. I think any team in college basketball with that level of attrition on its current roster and on its previous roster would be in the exact same situation as Tennessee right now. No team is immune to that level of attrition. So, Vols fans, I'm telling you to breathe when it comes to Rick Barnes and Tennessee basketball. Because you may not be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel yet, but it's there, and it might not come until next November. So that's all the time we have for today's episode. A reminder again that you can not only listen to us on the Zone podcast feed, uh, but also under the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Uh, We've also got a ton of new Zone originals wherever you find your podcasts uh, and A big one today. Uh, I'll plug it from this morning with myself and Mark Howard from the Wake Up Zone analyzing uh, the big change for the Nashville Predators. You can check out the Smashcast, episode number six, just released this morning, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, on any of those platforms and as well on 1045thezone.com. That's going to do it here for today, episode 29, coming up next week. We will talk to you then here on the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast. Hello, football fans. Football season is here and expectations are high. This is Ronnie Bowling of Brentwood Hearing Center. Meeting your expectations of better hearing is always the goal of our doctors of audiology. From diagnosis to demonstration to providing you the most recent device technology, we're determined to exceed your expectations of a tailored hearing solution. Give us a call today at 615-377-0420 or learn more at BrentwoodHearingCenter.com. We hope to see you soon.